Today on The Black Goat, we have a special episode about the recent SIPS conference, the Society for the Improvement of Psychological Science. We'll talk a little bit about what SIPS is all about, and then we have interviews from people who attended. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Sanjay Srivastava. Welcome to The Black Goat. And uh, we have, before we get into our main topic, we've discovered through uh, some listener feedback a dilemma, which is that nobody seems to know who's Samin and who's Alexa, vocally speaking. Um, so, Samin, how, how are people supposed to know who you are? Um, I say all the smart things. <laughs> incorrect no that's that's between you and me that's that's uh, <laughs> right. the, the, they don't need that one because that's the voice uh, <laughs> um All i have right, a so list I, some... I have like this overbite that makes me say my s's funny i don't know, <laughs> I this, know this is suddenly also really, alexa has really the better awkward. laugh like i have the really really dumb laugh no i have a super dumb laugh when no, i was editing you have that good interviews laugh. i i would literally cringe every time i heard myself laugh Oh, um, your laugh so is way better than my laugh. The dumb laugh is me. I have some quick tips. So first By the way, of all, who, who is me? That, this is Alexa <laughs> yeah, speaking right, right now. Alexa, <laughs> Alexa has some quick tips for you. So first, I say like way more than Samin does. Second of all, I express way more positive affect. So if you feel like the person who's talking is enthusiastic, um, it's probably me. Although I think maybe I... It, just like my voice is less enthusiastic than like my that I was gonna say presence. so so one 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 listener uh, uh, who shares a roof with me but shall remain unnamed <laughs> told me that vocally uh, Samine sometimes sounds more elder maybe she got you guys backwards because we never know who's who <laughs> but it was Damn. it was funny to me because I see the two of you on Skype and so I see like expressive Alexa and. Uh, um, Whatever, Samin. Flat Samin. <laughs> <laughs> Blah, Samin, I think. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, well, now that we've gotten that uh, taken care of, so we've got a, a Samin special thinks episode that Samin today. and Alexa should always refer to themselves in the third person from now on. There we go. That, that, won't, that won't cause any problems <laughs> at all. It reminds me of the time uh, when I was a kid and I had my swim meet and my dad videotaped the wrong swimmer the whole time. And then at the end, she gets out of the pool and you can see that he realizes it's not me and the camera like jerks away from her. So this is, this is like a lifelong thing for you. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, that's good. We're not, uh, you, you're used to it. So let's talk about SIPs. Um, we, uh, today's episode is going to be a little different because... We were at the SIPS conference, all three of us were there, and we had a chance to record conversations with people who were there. And that's going to be most of today's episode, or a big chunk of today's episode, uh, is hearing from people who actually went about uh, what, what it was like, some of them for the, many of them for the first time, some for the second, um, kind of what they were expecting going in and, and what the experience was like. But kind of as introduction, we thought we would maybe just talk a little bit about what SIPS is and kind of our experiences and where it came from. Um, so let's, let's start with the question that everyone was asking at SIPS. Alexa, what the hell is an unconference? Oh no, I was so afraid you were going to ask me that question. <laughs> no, I think I do sort of know what the the different categories of activities are at SIPS now. Or maybe actually, I jumped into that too much. We should step back. So SIPS is not a normal conference, right? right? It's not like if you're a psychologist and you're used to like 
there's symposia and keynotes and stuff like that. It's nothing like that. Right. Um, so you, you show up and there's what there's like, roughly speaking, four different kinds of uh, sort of scientific programming. There's workshops, hackathons, unconferences, and lightning talks. Yeah. Um, so I'd say that and like then there's social events and stuff are probably the well workshops and lightning talks are probably the most familiar to people and the most like other conference content. So a workshop is where somebody who is an expert on a particular topic leads a session. So they, you know, somebody will explain, you know, how to use R, how to use R Markdown, or how to use um, OSF or something like that. Um, and then lightning talks are, you know, what they what they sound like. You know, they're like um, often other kinds of conferences have lightning talks where people present really briefly on something of their choosing. But lightning talks at SIPs are a little bit different than they are elsewhere because not all of them are planned in advance. Um, and often they reflect sort of things that people um, have been working on at the conference and want to update other attendees about. So they'll, they'll choose, they'll sign up for a lightning talk slot and say, you know, what they've made progress on in other parts of the conference. Um, which is usually happening, this progress is happening in either um, unconferences or hackathons. And the way that I've started to think about these, and maybe you guys can elaborate if this is too simplistic, is that you would um, participate at an unconference if you have sort of like a problem or, or an idea that you sort of want to talk with like-minded people about, um, but you don't necessarily have sort of like a concrete product that you're working towards or a concrete idea about how you want to solve a particular problem. So you might have, let's say, um, an unconference about um, how to change like incentive structure, structures in academia. So something that's kind of like uh, broad and maybe it's not clear sort of how you want to start doing that. Then you form an unconference. You talk about those that topic with other people who are interested in it. Um, and then the sort of more concrete and maybe sort of step two of an unconference um, is a hackathon where you decide on a really concrete problem and how you're going to try to solve that. So maybe an unconference about incentive structures could lead to sort of like what journals can do to reward certain practices um, as a hackathon. And you could talk about how to specifically, you know, change journal policy or something like that. Um, so hackathons, like you'll hear interviewees talk about different hackathons and unconferences they attended. Um, some of the hackathons included like uh, a hackathon about ways to address uh, diversity issues. There was a hackathon about developing a syllabus um, to address like reproducibility um, issues. So uh, they usually have like a more concrete goal. Um, and a lot of the programming happens during the conference. So not all of these unconferences and hackathons are planned in advance. They're proposed by people at the conference as the conference progresses and the schedule for the conference is constantly updating. Um, yeah. Which is also really unusual for people mm -hmm. who are, who are used to traditional conferences. I mean, that, that for me also, like, I kind of knew this going in cause I'd been there last year, but it was still, you know, I found myself on my phone all the time going like, what's happening now? Like what, what's changed? Um, but yeah, it was, uh, um, and I think one of the, the, you know, because these are unfamiliar formats, you know, one of the things is a lot of people there for the new time, for the first time, or even people 
who weren't for the first time like me, you know, it's you're kind of like, oh, what's going on? But you kind of fall into the rhythm of it pretty fast. And people are like super welcoming. Um, I think that's one of the the cool things about it. Right. It's like the like I, I co-facilitated the diversity and inclusion hackathon with Neil Lewis Jr. And we had people like, yeah, people just sort of showed up because they knew the topic was of interest to them. We had actually quite a few people show up. It was like, all right, you're here. Let's, you know, let's, let's figure out some projects and put you to work. Um, and you don't have to, if you've got ideas, that's awesome. And if you don't, but you're just willing to work on the topic, that's awesome too. And everybody's welcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a chance to pop into the lightning talks just for a few minutes once and I loved it. Like it felt to me like what I imagine in ancient Greece, like the public square was like <laughs> where like somebody would get up on a soapbox or not a soapbox <laughs> yeah, yeah. or whatever and be like, okay, here's what I want to get off my chest or here's what I want to talk about or here's what I want your feedback on. And they would have a few minutes and then people would like ask questions or whatever. And then the next person would come up and it would be a totally different perspective, totally different career stage, different subdiscipline of psych or whatever. And it was just like really cool, like stream of like really, you know, thoughtful, intelligent people sharing their latest ideas or whatever. So that was, I wish I could have gone to more of those. Those looked really cool. Yeah, I think, you know, the the idea of that, like, terrifies some people. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's totally like, and some people clearly had prepared talks, and that was great. Mm -hmm. And then other people who felt comfortable would sort of get up. And it was kind of like, here's something I threw together an hour ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And the room was really friendly to that stuff, Mm -hmm. right? That's, I think that's one of the things that just the and, and we'll get into a little bit sort of like, like the the what sips was envisioned as and that kind of thing but it's a it's a group of people that have sort of similar enough beliefs and are there to kind of support each other and and maybe we should get into that a little bit yeah too so one so, last so thing mean, about the, yeah. the conference is that we also have try to have like things where everybody is in the same place at the same time so like we had breakfast every morning that's right in a big hall we had a conference dinner that was covered that was free and we're all together in a place that we rented out just for us um so i for me those events are also really important and like the opening session everybody was there and everybody introduced themselves and who knows how that'll evolve if the conference grows but i really like that aspect of it too and they're they're mostly social events but it's part i think of the like what makes the program part of it work so well Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, and I think that a lot of that reflects some of the original sort of community intent uh behind it. And and maybe we, let's talk about that cuz uh Samin, you're the co-founder, you and Brian Nosick. Uh I think it's fair to credit the two of you, but if we we're going to credit one person, I'll credit you. Um I don't know if uh, you you always seem to say no, Brian did it too, but I'm like, yeah, whatever. So, you know, Brian No, it was definitely both but, of uh, us. Yeah, okay. I mean, See, so... there you go. There you go. Yeah. So how did how did it get started? Tell so us, I went tell I, the origin I looked back story. on my emails. I could re- I could remember that it was like end of September 2015 and indeed it was September 29th, 2015. I emailed Brian and said, hey, like, you know, I've been, I just had just gotten back from a conference and I was like, you know, I'm getting kind of tired. Like every time I'm on a replicability panel or roundtable at a conference, we never get to the part where we're like, okay, what should we do now? It's always about like, how bad are things? What should we do with the past, et cetera? And I was like, I'd like a society and a conference where we're just focused on like making things better and not about debating about how bad things are. 
Um, and so I, here's like a, one excerpt from the email. I said like the goal of the group would be to present and discuss tools for affecting change in like meta science and journals and graduate training and to provide an opportunity to share our efforts with each other and get feedback. Also, I know that for me, the opportunity to talk to others about these issues would motivate me to keep working on them. I'm still pretty optimistic overall, but I'm realizing that to stay motivated, I need the occasional morale boost. So basically like I was just feeling like I was losing energy and I was like, how can I get more energy? Oh, I can like try to get people together. So I, I actually, I was looking through the chain of emails between me and Brian at the very beginning. And I was saying like, I think we could maybe get like 25 or 30 people to come to our first conference. And we luckily like planned it to be able to accommodate more than that. And we got a hundred people at the first conference with like, you know, at that point, I'm not, I think most of those hundred people had no idea what they were signing up for. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> okay, I guess we'll show up and see what happens. Um, so I was pretty excited that a hundred people came and then this time we had 200 yeah. yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, I think some, you know, to capture something out of what you said, which people who haven't been to SIPS or talked to someone who's been to it may not realize is that it's like a super optimistic, energizing atmosphere, which I think a lot of people's experience of the sort of conversation around replicability and open science has been there. There is a lot of necessary like criticism and there has been a lot of debate and that's all been important. And, and some of that, that it's not that that's not at SIPS at all, right? There was a, um, there was an unconference session. I saw somebody like, you know, an unconference is like anybody can start up an unconference. They just literally like sign up on a piece of paper and then whoever wants to go shows up. And somebody, I think very like sort of self-aware irony called one like the data police session. Right. And so, you know, but like there are people who are interested in forensic stuff, but a lot of what's going on there and even that stuff I think falls under this umbrella in the way it's approached is very sort of like forward looking. It's like, let's make things, let's, let's improve things. You don't have to, people I'm sure would disagree if you surveyed people or there'd be very variation in opinion on like how severe our problems. But I think everybody agrees like we can, we can always and should be always making science better so it's got this very kind of like energizing feel, which I, I suspect people will hear in the interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So like 100 people came last year. And at the end, it was I remember you sent out the thing and you started talking it up and you were already calling it a society. Mm-hmm. But then at the end of the first meeting, it was like, so are we going to actually be a society? And everyone's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, what should we call it? It's like the name you gave it. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that was kind of how, how it was like, it was a very like, you tried so hard to be like, you know, I don't want to be putting this on everyone. And everyone's like, the thing she said, we're going to do that. <laughs> um, uh, well, yeah. I, we did have like several rounds of voting uh but yeah we ended up with with what we started with yeah but still i was glad to have that input and we had a bunch of people volunteer to be on the interim executive board and so those people worked for about six months before we had an election for the first elected executive board and those yeah that interim executive board it was it's it was a lot of work and just like writing a mission statement and then deciding like do we have the authority to write the mission statement but if we don't have a mission statement then how do we have an election because what are people you know, getting elected for and so on. So this very how do we like have an circular. Without, how do we have an election without bylaws? But then who writes the bylaws if we right. don't have an election? Yes. And yeah, there's lots and lots of that. Is, yeah, bootstrapping is is confusing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah. So it's still. I mean, that's another thing that. So so Samin and I 
are on the executive board currently. Samin's actually the president of the organization, and, and I'm a member of the board. And it's been interesting, like, for me, I've been on society boards before, but it's been super interesting watching it form. And it's it really is. It's like a pretty small sort of group on the board. But then there's there's tons of people out there who want to help. And that's one of the things we're actually trying to figure out is, like, how to how to sort of make use of people who are interested in helping out but yeah. it, it is this like this weird all these things you have to do like you know getting your tax exempt status and and writing bylaws and all these other things that an organization needs to exist it's been sort of fascinating watching <laughs> that and watching this like giant conference happen when some days it sort of feels like uh like the the sort of the organization as a whole is getting ahead of its infrastructure, but um, I think we're doing an okay job of keeping up. Yeah, and I really like the way the executive board is structured too. So there's nine seats, and three of them are reserved for early career, so graduate student postdoc members. Three of them are reserved for people at non-PhD granting institutions, and then the, the other three are open to anybody. So it like guarantees some amount of diversity on some dimensions, and then we also hope to have diversity in other dimensions too. Um, and I think we did a pretty good job with the first board. And then like, I'm really excited also to make myself obsolete. I'm very aware that like <laughs> some of the things I don't like about other societies, is just how in groupy they are and like things get decided like by, you know, a small number of people and their friends and so on. So I, I am very aware of that possibility for SIPs to turn into that. And so I'm eager to get out of the way as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think the yeah the the you know coming up with governance for something like this for a sort of uh, uh, you know an organization that's about openness and transparency has been really interesting to say like yeah we don't need to follow this mold and you know we can do it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there were a couple of uh, I thought pretty big announcements. I mean one of the things that I thought was really energizing about being at SIPS was seeing stuff from last year or uh, sort of taking off um, as well as stuff that was just uh, um, sort of part of the larger world of open science and and some of it with strong connections to SIPS. Um, uh, Yeah, so uh, one of those was the APA announcement, um, which was that uh, um, APA announced, or, or I guess APA and the Center for Open Science sort of came together with an agreement uh, that uh, now I'm going to forget the three things, but um, that APA is going to allow editors to use badges, which is something that the Center for Open Science has been pushing. Um, They're going to use the Center for Open Science, the Open Science Framework, as their preferred data repository for open data. And this is the SIPS connection. So last year at SIPS, uh, um, uh, or coming out of SIPS, was this creation of a preprint server, which is now known as SciArchive. And APA is now partnering to make SciArchive its preferred preprint server, which I gather that the the idea is that when you submit a manuscript to, to an APA journal, um, the, the, the vision eventually is like you can just automatically sort of like route it to SciArchive, and so you can have a preprint of your manuscript as soon as you get into the submission process and it'll be out there for people to comment on, for people to use and circulate and all that kind of stuff. Do I have that right? Yep. And uh, another big announcement at SIPS was that SIPS partnered with the UC Press open access journal called Collabra Psychology. Um, So that is now an official journal of SIPS. 
and SIPS will have a lot of control over the editorial board and so we'll have a publication committee that basically makes the editorial side of the decisions um and we agreed that it was an open relationship so this doesn't preclude either <laughs> entity from affiliating with other entities um and you'll hear actually in the interviews dan morgan who is the publisher of collaborative psychology so he works for uc press he'll, he's in the interviews you'll hear in a minute so that was exciting. Um, if you want to learn more about collaborative psychology, you can go to the SIPS homepage and we have a link to it there, improvingpsych.org. Also, that's where you can sign up for the listserv and that'll allow you to get all these announcements before you hear them on the Black Goat pod. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and so so next year there's going to be another SIPS. And Alexa, are you on the you were on the program committee for this one? Are you on the one for next year as well? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, are we? Get, is it going to be more? I guess we don't know yet. It's going to be more hackathons and unconferences. I hope, right? Mm-hmm. I hope I like the third year. I'll actually be able to <laughs> say off the top of my head when unconference is. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, I think the structure will be similar to what it was like this year, um, and I think you sort of like already touched on this, Sanjay, but. Um, when people, I think, hear about the structure of the conference, it's almost better to have people, like, not exactly hear about the structure of the conference. <laughs> they, like, sign up, and then they're, like, they get closer and closer, and they're, like, oh, no, what did I sign up for? But they're already, like, roped in, and then they get there, and it's fine. Um, but you'll you'll hear that a lot in the interviews, too. People will say, like, I was, like, a little intimidated. I didn't know what a hackathon was. Like, I was and- worried that I wouldn't have something to contribute. But then people pretty universally feel like they they do have things to contribute and and the the format gets like easy to adjust to also more than 50 percent of the attendees are grad students or postdocs yeah. so if if it's your first time if you don't feel like you have a ton of experience or wisdom or whatever i mean plenty of the senior people also don't have a ton of experience or wisdom but <laughs> you definitely won't be not alone. a ton of wisdom <laughs> yeah whatever 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 your level of experience is you won't be alone yeah, I think we. I, I think there's a lot about it that really makes it welcoming to newcomers. I, 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 I can't. Yeah, I feel. I always feel a little awkward speaking for other people, but I feel like I've heard that from enough people that well, I can. I can confidently say that. One more thing we did both years, and I hope we'll continue it next year, is a mentor lunch, but yeah. it's one on one. So we yeah. like ask for volunteers. So any early career person, and however you identify, can sign up to be a mentee. Anybody who wants to be a mentor can sign up to be a mentor. And both years we've had a one to one ratio of mentors to mentees, mm-hmm. and they go out to lunch together. And I think that's been like really nice. And yeah. like, yeah, I, yeah. I've and enjoyed it. That was. It's really cool awesome. because yeah. the the men so the sort of like cutoff that we use when we're sort of pre-categorizing people into mentors and mentees like I mean we ask people what they would like to be categorized as um, but what we use as the heuristic is like basically whether you have a faculty position or not um, and so often the mentor lunches are between somebody who's like you know first or second year faculty and somebody who is you know a senior graduate student or a postdoc. And I think that's sort of unconventional, but also people have told me that they think that that's kind of cool because, you know, it's really useful for somebody who's a senior graduate student or a postdoc to be able to talk to somebody who just went through the job market process and stuff like that. So it's a a different sort of like division than I think you typically mentor lunches are. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, and and for those of us who are a little further ahead, at least I really enjoyed. I, I yeah, I I had a great time uh, meeting 
uh, the the I, I always feel weird about like saying people's name on the podcast. I'm like, is it going to be weird about? Uh, uh, shout out Koji, uh, lunch was awesome. Thank mm-hmm. you. Uh, and uh, um, yeah, so so the next conference is in Grand Rapids, Michigan, June 23rd to 27th, 2018. Um, and before that, there's a SPSB pre-conference in the works, which will be kind of sort of a hybrid of like a there'll be some more traditional talks and some more sipsy kind of uh interactive stuff right yeah for those of you who go to spsp look out for that pre-conference can yeah. i say one more cheesy thing this is samin yes. just in case you might be tempted to think this is alexis and say something <laughs> cheesy. <laughs> i think you know we do these mentor lunches and i often like get in the mindset of like what can we do for early career people but i think something early career people might not realize is how much their presence at sips does for the later career people and i've had several like very senior people tell me that sips just like made them more optimistic about the future of the field and just made them one person told me that he used to he stopped going to conferences years ago because he was just disillusioned and then sips made him excited to go to conferences again not just sips but even other conferences knowing that there are these you know early career people in the field and that they're the future of the field and i feel the same way like the mentor lunches but also just my interactions with early career people at sips like makes me like take a deep breath and be like okay everything's gonna be okay <laughs> so yeah. like it goes both ways yeah absolutely yeah and so that's probably a good way to wrap up because we're going to hear from a bunch of those folks next in the interviews um so uh that's our next segment we're going to hear from people who actually went and uh they'll tell us about their experiences their expectations and and what they took away and which black goat podcast member they like best yes <laughs> <laughs> First, I talked to three SIPS veterans, Brett Mercier, Dylan Wewad, and Alex Uzdevens. Do you guys feel like the SIPS format is like intimidating? I feel like it, so here's the thing. I think it, I think it seems intimidating until you are actually in it for approximately five seconds. Yeah, that's kind of what I was, mm-hmm. uh, I, was kind of hoping would be the case um, because I also found it a little bit intimidating last year. I'd never heard the term hackathon before. Um, but I think because of the things you're talking yeah. about, like the sort of like, yeah, you can propose an unconference and it's like all you have to, all you have to have done at that point is thought like, I would like to talk about this thing with some other people who are mm-hmm. interested in it. And like, that's all you need. Yeah. Right. It's like the really cool roller coaster. <laughs> like, <laughs> But that's, I mean, that's how I think about Said it. Said no one about a psychology conference ever. <laughs> Except this one. <laughs> no, but it's like, you know, I, I really love going on roller coasters. I still am like, all right, here we go. Like, it's that kind of nervous energy like before that, it. Click, 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 click. Uh-huh. Like, and it's the same thing, even coming into the second year is the same way. Like, all right, yeah, let's go. Who knows how it'll be? Like, there will be a bunch of new people. Like, it, it's exciting and it's fun in a way that, like, I enjoy going to APA. I look forward to, like, I have conference buddies I look forward to seeing, but it's a totally different feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, I found it super intimidating, especially the first year. You know, I had no idea what to expect going in other than Sanjay had said it was a good idea. <laughs> um, and then they, you know, Brian got up there and said, we're doing these, like, hackathons. You're going like, to go with the group and, like, pick and solve a problem. And I was like, oh, my God. This is so frightening. Yeah. I never would have signed up for it if and I had like, known that. And then coming out, I was like, that was the single most valuable conference experience I've ever had. 
That is exactly how I yeah. felt about it. Like yeah. I was like, if yeah. somebody had described this to me beforehand, I would not. I would have been like, that's not my no style. Way. No, <laughs> like, you're like, right. Yeah. I'm gonna be in like a group, and I'm just not gonna talk the whole time. But yeah, it, I mean, yeah, it's a good way to sort of like sneak attack, include people or something, you know? <laughs> so not tell them what they're signing up yeah. for. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, has being at SIPS this year changed the way you think about anything? Mm-hmm. I think one thing that really changed my thinking was seeing preprints now um, APA mm-hmm. partnering with the, the preprint. Uh-huh. So, like I saw that uh, form at yeah. SIPS a year ago and now it's mm-hmm. like official with APA one year later. And yeah. to me, that was really like, not only can this happen, but it's going to happen quickly and is happening quite rapidly. Mm-hmm. So that I think was, was huge. Yeah. Yeah. Th- I thought that was really cool to see things from SIPs last year being like a big deal this year, you know, like we mm-hmm. can actually see what was produced last year and see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, in some ways I feel a broken record about like how much that APA thing like meant in terms of just morale. Like it's like, it's super cool in yeah. terms of open science, but just like straight up morale, like there have been times feeling when I'm not, you know, here or like around open science people where it's like, uh, you know, the Simpsons, what is now basically a meme of like grandpa Simpson as a headline, like crazy man shaking his fist to mm-hmm. clouds. Like that's what I've been feeling like for like three or four years. Um, yeah, sure. And so that announcement doesn't like immediately change everything, but like it lets me go back home to my department and be like, no, I'm serious. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. You know, it's like one thing to say, hey, you know, this is a thing that I think is cool and important and will, you know, change our field for the better. Um, but it's another thing to say, like, I think this and um, like important organizations agree, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Awesome. Next, Samin talks to Mike Frank and Brian Nozick about whether there is space for morality and politics in science. What do you guys think of the conference? Uh, I love this conference. Uh, the, the best part about it is that everybody has a common general aim, which is, I want to st- do stuff better. Uh, and of course that's true almost all the time. But it is more than just a general truth at this meeting. It's an active goal. Mm-hmm. We're all just trying to do stuff better. Mm-hmm. And simultaneously, there isn't a point of view of what that means. Mm-hmm. One question I've been asking myself, not specifically with SIPs or with the meeting, but is you know, at the very beginning of this like movement or whatever it is, the phrase scientific integrity was used a lot. And now I feel like a lot of effort is spent to not be moralistic and not sound self-righteous. And I think that's great. But at the same time, I think there is a moral dimension, you know, that when we say improvement, we mean improvement in a general direction. And there's some consensus, at least within SIPs, about what progress would look like. And so sometimes I feel like when we deny that there's kind of a moral angle, that sounds fake because we do have values. We do have an idea about which direction we prefer things to move in. But then I also think I don't want to sound moralistic or self-righteous or things like that. Yeah, I, I, I've heard the self-righteousness. I've, I've observed self-righteousness <laughs> in the movement. I'm sure I've done it myself. It's hard to avoid uh, as just a person living. Mm-hmm. But I don't see it in 
the dominant discussions as yeah. it happens here or or in the community writ large. Yeah. Uh, because to me, the focus is on oneself. It's not I don't I want other people to do better. Yeah. I think everybody here is trying to figure out how can I do better. Right. Uh, and there's no righteousness in that. It yeah. is uh, to me. There's a lot of humility uh, in the in the conversations. Right. One thing that's very interesting about SIPs is that in part we're a scientific meeting and in part we're a political meeting. Yeah. Right? We're yeah. trying to make change and organize and bring about changes. And in part there's then you have to think about instrumental concerns, like what's the best strategy to make these changes? And Brian's been just brilliant at uh, considering uh, that question and, and advocating for good strategies. And I think my interpretation of this situation is that uh, moralism is normative. It says, you should do this, you're not doing it, it might be hard, but you need to. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, mm -hmm. even though that would be an easy way to get more for yourself. And that's a really hard message. Uh, take a hit for, for openness for your ideals. And that, I think that's the wrong message. In my work, what I see is that the values that we espouse are accelerators, they're incentive aligned. They make work better, faster, cheaper, easier, more rewarding. I, I totally agree with the things you're describing. How do you approach it for the for those things that are going to be harder? I'm not going to get as many great results if I adopt some of these practices. I'm not going to get the beautiful paper with the, all the neat and tidy findings. What's your pick? So th that's where we have to start thinking about our aesthetics and, and shifting uh, what we see as beautiful science. Um, I remember, uh, actually, this was like a kind of um, a phrase that I wrote in a blog post and then Samin, you retweeted it and I was really, really happy about this because I had kind of thrown it off and then you said it and I was like, oh, that's actually, you actually picked the thing that was correct about this blog post and the rest of it was kind of, you know, writing process, um, which was trying to redefine what's bling in the scientific sense. Uh, what we should be excited about and talking about and tweeting about and promoting is the definitiveness, the scale, uh, the detail, the precision. And I think when, you know, I'm always inspired when I see scientists who really point to how rigorous a design was or how uh, substantial a contribution was rather than how unexpected or, uh, you know, how kind of uh, uh, surprising with respect to theory. You know, yeah. th there's, uh, there's a redefinition of our aesthetics that can then help us appreciate the work that is, um, you know, kind of makes the most contribution under the model that we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Cool. Any other thoughts on SIPs, the organization, the conference? Or the Black Goat, any tips for what we should do an episode on in the future? Or life advice, what should I do with my life? <laughs> should I, I do medicine, substantive work? <laughs> Uh, what I like a lot about the Black Goat, and I suspect other listeners do as well, uh, is that it gives uh, voice in a conversational way that is hard to get out of social media in mm -hmm. other ways, right? The, what, what all of this is about, how it has impact on me, my lab, my colleagues, the work that we're doing. Uh, it's, you don't get that feel out mm -hmm. of... Twitter and Facebook discussions. Yeah. That's all sort of the, the content. Yeah. Uh, but you get the feels out of the, yeah. the black goat. So I really like that uh, nice. part of it. Uh, and, I, and I suspect it, it is 
empowering uh, to others that have similar experiences. Yeah, I, I love the podcast too. I've been listening to it and enjoying it. Uh, for me, the, the thing that is most exciting about it is the idea that there's a, uh, a welcoming and fun community that's kind of mulling over these issues, doesn't have answers, isn't just simply, like you said, moralistic about it, but is really kind of trying to think through how is this going to change our practice as scientists and as professionals. And like we don't, um, as a rule, provide that much professional development for students uh, or even for faculty members. So having a bit of a network where these things are being discussed in an open and friendly way is really valuable. And yeah. for students, for everybody, uh, having another medium that, that kind of adds to that feeling of a network of support is really fun. So appreciate it. Next, Sanjay talks to Rich Lucas, Bill Chopik, and Katie Corker about unconferences, Spartans, and Beer City USA. So, Rich, what's uh, what would you say is one thing you've done here at SIPS that you're really excited about? <laughs> we, can, we can edit out long pauses. Alexa, make a note. <laughs> I mean, I think that the thing that's always great about these things is the way that they're set up to just try different things. And I think that it's really interesting to, that, the, that the sessions are set up so that you can have a discussion about whether this crazy idea that someone has is something that is is going to fly or not. So you can sit around and talk about it for an hour and then decide it's not something that we should pursue and we're going to move on into other types of things. And so I think that the most exciting thing I think about being here is seeing that process of trying ideas, seeing how it works, maybe turning into an entire hackathon that then works to, towards some concrete outcome versus other ones where we say, well, maybe that's not the best way we can improve psychological science right now. And so that's always cool to see happen here. Yeah, that sort of that room for failure feels important. Mm -hmm. The failure in the good sense, right? Of like, right. you can take risks, and if you go down a dead end, you don't have to feel like it, but it, if something really takes off, it can yeah. really take off. Yeah. Bill, what kind of stuff did you work on while you were here? What was a session you really are gonna remember? Um, so one that was really packed was an unconference session, just sort of a small working group where people talk about an issue and whether it's worth pursuing. Um, it was on basically what to do when you have existing data sets, which is sort of a whole new ball game. You know, we know the typical pre-registration format when you're starting to collect data. But then there's all these other interesting ethical issues when you might already have the data in hand, but you want to make a lot of analytical decisions. What do you do? And there were some really interesting ideas, stuff I hadn't even thought of. Awesome. So, Katie. You basically ran the whole thing. I don't even know. What, yeah. what, officially, what, what, officially, is, what officially was your title? Were you conference chair? I was program? conference like co-chair. <laughs> <laughs> it was co-chairs. Jack Arnell was also a co-chair. Okay. Yeah. 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 So did Party you, planner. Yeah. Maybe that would be my subtitle. <laughs> right. So, so who do we have to thank for the leader beers? Was that you? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> no. Cardinal Hall. That will, that, will be, that will be the most remembered thing about SIPs, <laughs> the beers the size of your head. Um, did, you, did you have a chance to do any programming? You seemed like you were running around a lot just making the whole thing happen. I got to do a little bit of the kind of wrap-up sessions. So at the uh, beginning of the day, there were pitches for new hackathons, and at the end of the day, there were wrap-ups, and it was really cool to see and hear about how much had been accomplished. Mm 
in the sessions that I wasn't able to attend. Um, and I'm really looking forward to going home and going through all of the notes and the documentation and seeing all the cool stuff that happened while I was running around. So, so just we realized just before we started recording, by coincidence, all three of you are current or former Spartans. So, uh, um, what are your top three least favorite things about the University of Michigan? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but the, the, the but fact Bill. that I got a degree from there. Yeah, that's the exactly. worst. <laughs> I hate it so much. Yeah. I probably shouldn't say it in this kind. My wife went to the University of Michigan, and oh, so, so did mine. Oh, oh well, okay. all right, all right. beautiful, so, smart people. Yeah, Lucky people. <laughs> right, she, she's she's now started listening to the podcast, and so uh, yeah, honey, if you're listening, we love Go Blue. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Bill, were you here? You weren't here last year, right? No. This was your first one. What was yep. it like coming in? Like, did you? A lot of people commented that the program they didn't really understand what it was yeah. all about. Like, what was what was it like for you coming in? Yeah, I noticed that these aren't real words like unconference, <laughs> athons. Um, yeah, you know, I, yeah, I had sort of heard that it was much more interactive and sort of doing these pitches and sort of a lot of organically created stuff, uh, and that was really exciting. And um, yeah, it's unlike any professional thing I've ever done because it's like. A bunch of really smart people who care about the future of science being like, hey, here's an interesting issue that we should think about. And then they kind of brainstorm. So imagine you have a bunch of really smart people working on something all day. You can really do some amazing things. Um, and then, you know, a lot of some of the things that are proposed start becoming like standard operating procedures. And, you know, that, that was an exciting thing. You know, they're starting to partner with journals and start some more partnerships. And, um, you know, hopefully in the future years it'll be hey, let's all just go to SIPs and see what the new exciting thing that is going to be happening in the field. Is there anything else that you want to tell the Blackout listeners that uh, <laughs> <laughs> chance to say? It's just such an honor to be on such a prestigious podcast. <laughs> <laughs> What's it called again? Suck up. <laughs> it's, it's, it's called an hour loop of you saying that. <laughs> Green, green goat, black mama. Black mama. <laughs> no, it's, so it's an exciting conference, and um, you know, I also kind of felt like I wouldn't have anything to contribute, but I think half of it is just coming and kind of absorbing it, and then a lot of it's organic. So if you're like, hey, you know, I, I listened to this thing and I came up with a new issue, can we maybe sort of hash this out? And then, so yeah, you don't necessarily need to come prepared if you kind of want to jump in and contribute. So if anyone's reticent. They shouldn't be. And I would add next year in Grand Rapids, um, there's only a couple of things you need to know. One is Beer City, USA. <laughs> <laughs> so we have uh, over 30 microbreweries in town, maybe six to eight within walking distance of the conference location. Uh, and we are also only about mm, 35, 40 minutes from Lake Michigan. So perhaps some beach or lake activities in our future as well and definitely Beer City USA. So I hope everybody will come hang out. Awesome. Next, I talked to Danielle Young, Joanna Shug, and Lee Wilton about whether you can be a productive researcher and keep up with Netflix. Let's start with the easy question. Um, what is your worst trivia category? 
popular culture and media. That's such a respectable, respectable bad <laughs> trivia category. Like, if I could choose a trivia category to be bad at, I would pick that. I don't watch TV or movies, so I'm pretty much oblivious to anything going on in the world. What do you do with your time? Research. <laughs> Good for you. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like it get much done, but, you know, I, I don't understand how people do research and watch TV sometimes, so. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they don't, I guess. Yeah. You're the only one who's doing research. Everybody <laughs> else is just watching Netflix. After your SIPS experience, do you think differently about anything than you did before you got here? Um, I feel like the whole movement is a lot more open and inclusive than I thought it was coming into it. Like, I, you know, I don't always pre-register studies. I usually don't pre-register my studies. I know I should be, and I make mm -hmm. my students do it. So I was worried that, you know, maybe I would be, like, seen as one of those like bad people. Yeah, SIPs, like I'm one of those, like, you know, disgusting, like, you know, old-school psychologists who, you know, data and like you know doing all these shady things even if it's not intentional mm -hmm. um but it seems like everyone's just like no like any any bit that you do to make your science better is great and it's great for everyone and here are all these ways that you can do it that are going to help you and it's not going to like get in the way of doing things the right way and mm -hmm. so it's like it's actually really positive and inspiring cool that's awesome twitter <laughs> twitter i had a no go on twitter perspective and now I have a you did, a you did a 180 on Twitter I did a 180 okay maybe like a 170 okay who do you think would win in a fight between Samir and Sanjay Samir <laughs> <laughs> why I don't know she looks scrappy <laughs> I think she's probably got like she's got the get up for it yeah yeah I wouldn't want to fight her mm -hmm. no yeah I would fight Sanjay I can see that. Yeah. yeah. Sanjay is the worst fighter of the three of us, based <laughs> on no actual experience. <laughs> Next, Samin talks to Rodica Damian, Corey Costello, and Dan Morgan about the worst thing about SIFs. What's the worst thing about SIFs? Too many interesting things to go to, so they're overlapping. No, not, not a good answer. No. <laughs> you have to say something mean. Okay. Take my time, you guys. Uh, I don't, my worst thing about SIPS is that I kept getting involved in the hackathons and on conferences that clearly weren't going to yield a really concrete mm. thing. Like the, 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 the answer or the problem was just like too massive. And I kept seeing the reports from the kind of developer <laughs> syllabus or kind of yeah. developer list. And I'm like, oh, why wasn't that? Yeah. <laughs> one? So maybe did you just think that maybe there's a causal relationship between those Maybe. I was observations? Like, <laughs> yeah, like it seemed to be an easier easier ask if you were involved in a, you know, a, let's develop a list, right. you know, a simple list or a guideline or something. Yeah, yeah the syllabus one was good. I was in that one. <laughs> yeah, I was in that one too. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I was trying to solve diversity problems and, you know, yeah, obviously yeah. hugely important topic, yeah. but, uh, you know, just kind of more thinking was happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. happened as yeah. a result of that. I was actually surprised at how smooth it was and how it was really just engaging, or at least that particular, I don't know, I don't have a comparison, so I don't know if other hackathons were as good, but I think the organizers of the Silvus hackathon did a really good job making people feel included and 
Yeah, I, I thought that was uh, all yeah, my worries yeah. kind of went away. So that was nice. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely easier than I anticipated. Yeah, <laughs> like I, yeah. I spent like the week before, like, oh my god, why did exactly. I sign up for this? Exactly, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's yeah. so hard to convince people that they shouldn't worry about that, and I'm not saying they necessarily mm -hmm. shouldn't, but I, I think a lot of people don't come because they think they don't have anything to contribute, and I, mm -hmm. that makes me sad. I'm trying to get you guys to say controversial things, but you're oh, just no. dodging oh. my question. <laughs> you have to you trick us. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think are the biggest challenges for the organization, SIPS? Not just the meeting, but... Like, what are some obstacles we're going to stumble on? The per perceptions of SIPS. I mean, yes. I, yeah, you know, right. I, I, I think SIPS is perceived as having you know, dominant voices from certain psychological mm -hmm. fields. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And whilst that might be quantitatively true, as by a number of people who represent mm -hmm. a field, I, I don't feel like in any of the sessions or hackathons it's felt dominated by mm -hmm. a field. You know, I think the, mm -hmm. the yeah, purpose yeah. of SIPS is to talk about all the things that can unite us and make mm -hmm. the field better and pedagogical things better mm -hmm. and syllabi better and things like mm -hmm. that. So even though you could it's a perception and you could probably prove it in the number of numbers of people and what fields they're from. I just don't feel it in, in at the conference yeah. in that way. Yeah. I think probably a lot of people who don't participate in it maybe think it's uh, moralistic. So yeah, it's kind of in line with what you were mm -hmm. saying that we're right. just, just sitting around here judging other people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and I didn't get that feeling either. Like it's just really, people kind of being um, focused on issues and trying to find a way and to provide resources yeah. to help. And one of the things that was really important to me for SIPS is making it accessible. I mean, conferences are always going to be a burden on people who don't have a lot of resources, but like mm -hmm. having the conference dinner be free and having registration be waived for people who ask and mm -hmm. um, things like that. I'd like, I mean, if you guys have other ideas about how we can make it mm -hmm. more accessible. I know some people, some people emailed us and said they couldn't come because their supervisor didn't support them yeah. coming, not just financially, but, yeah. and those are the people that I'm, I'm most, <laughs> maybe reaching out to them with a conference is not the way to reach out, but right. I think we have a responsibility as a field to support the people who um, aren't necessarily able to put their, mm -hmm. their values into practice. Next, Sanjay talks to Koji Takahashi and Nick Mikulak about optimism versus pessimism. Yeah, what, so, I mean, something I'm always interested in hearing from grad students about, this is sort of maybe a vague question, is like a sense of optimism or pessimism about the future, specifically related to open science, because I, I feel like there's potential for both, right? And yeah, like do you is do you feel like, oh my god, everything's changing so fast, I don't know how to train for the job I'm gonna have, I don't know what's gonna be expected, or do you feel like, oh, this is terrific, science is getting great, or something else? Like how how what's the sort of the pulse for the two of you and among grad students you talk to? Um, I mean I think um, I mean among graduate students, it mean it seems like, you know, people are always kind of anxious about like what should I be doing so that I can get my job or do I even want a job that kind of thing I think that's always like floating around but in terms of like the open science thing yeah like um, on the one hand you have advisors that um, were trained and are really good at you know um, doing re research rather quickly um, with a, under a certain kind of model or a certain kind of paradigm um, and framing it and 
getting it ready for publication. And so the kind of advice that they're very uh, prepared to give you is from that world, right? And so but now there's a this things are a changing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and they recognize that and they know that and they're ready to adapt to that probably. Yeah, you know that's interesting. I I feel like uh, I'm I'm very protective of graduate students that I work with, and I'm I'm often reluctant to do things because I'm thinking about those pragmatic things and like I want you to get a job and all that. And I often find, you know, even I'm someone that I think you know is probably seen as like fairly pro open science and whatever. But it's like I'm with my grad students. I'm like I'm not so sure I want to ask them to do this. And then they're coming to me about the thing I'm not wanting to ask them to do, and they're like, can we do this? And so it's like, right. they're often actually leading me in some interesting ways. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think, uh, I definitely want to be careful not to generalize too much to all grad students, since, you know, uh, a lot of this might just be projecting, but um, I think part of the challenge is there's already like so much uh, uncertainty, especially about the future job market. Um, like, you know, we know there are already a lot of things that we just can't really control, you know. Maybe there are like, you know, small pet peeves that one member of a hiring committee just happens to have and, um, you know, you can't really control a lot of those things. And I think having um, a lot of uncertainty about um, how people are going to be evaluating open science and things like that, and how much that may vary from department to department, um, adds an additional level of uncertainty. So I don't think it's anything uh, too new in terms of the sources of anxiety, um, but I think it's another additional thing to think about. Um, so I mean, I think ultimately, uh, especially here, you know, uh, I think being at SIPS has definitely biased my sense of how a lot of people are feeling, since we're just surrounded by a lot of the people who are really excited about open science. Um, and I think, you know, that's definitely uh, where I'm at right now, you know, definitely getting much more excited. So I think at the end of the day, um, you know, people who are really excited about this stuff are, you know, going to uh, do what it takes to do what they feel is better science. Next, I talked to Melissa Klein about memorable SIPS moments. Is this your first SIPS? It is, right? This is my first SIPS. Okay. Okay. Um, is SIPS what you expected? Um, more or less. Uh, it's been, uh, yeah, I think it's more or less what I expected. I think when I started getting all the emails and everything, I got a little overwhelmed by how much no structure there was. And then we like, send the, a lot of like, emails. Well, telling us about how there was no structure mm-hmm. and that we should just come and there's, you don't know what's happening, but come. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got a little nervous about what exactly that was going to mean. And then we got here and then it became like sort of clearer like it was nice that it's that that first day was mostly set up so that you could kind of have your hand held and like walk into a room where someone would be at the front and like say some things to you yeah um and then it's time you reassure you that this is like a real is a real thing here Uh um but also like one of the first things that i did was walk into the diversity section and then um uh, that splintered into five or six projects i think all of which have made a good amount of progress but Mm -hmm. sanjay and ari eason and i Ari said that SIPS should collect diversity data about its membership, and so we sat down and we did a quick survey of what national organizations collect about their membership, mm-hmm. determined that SPSP did a pretty good job, and that like whatever lessons could be learned from SPSP, we knew people who had been involved in that process, and so you know off it'll go to the board and they'll figure out how to collect that data from members. Mm-hmm. Um, like three-ish hours, like done, great. We sort of looked around and said, okay, this hackathon doesn't need to continue. It's accomplished a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was really satisfying. Yeah, it's really cool. Next, Samin talks to Roger Junior Sorolla, Michelle Knighton, 
and Eric Vanman about interesting conversations and a new Go mascot. What's an interesting conversation you had here? I so just, many. Yeah, I just talked to an undergrad that I hadn't met before, Mac Finkel. He actually emailed me with a couple of questions about StatCheck, and he just uh, rounded up me and Chris and uh, some other colleagues of ours to to ask us some questions about StatCheck, supposedly, and then he presented us with an entire research plan, a new app, and a website which he had worked on for 20 hours a week, which was mind-blowing. Wow. So that was really cool. I'm still kind of confused about the whole thing. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I got to present my idea for a card game that kind of teaches mm-hmm. principles of open science yeah. You're, you know, by, by putting you know, the desire to win in opposition with the desire for truth, and then over time they, they become more aligned and you enter the scientific utopia. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. I got a bunch of uh, you know, gaming geeks yeah. on side and might eventually you know, play test it and release it. Cool. Um... What, what's an obstacle that SIPs the organization is going to have to face? I wonder, like, will this be still as an effective of a meeting when the numbers grow more? Like, if it gets to three or 400 yeah. people, would it be a lot harder to do the same kinds of activities? And so I'm interested in seeing how they're going to handle growth, because I'm sure it's going to attract many more people next year. Oh, yeah? Well, the, in, the, in the opening session, you had everyone, like all 200 or whatever people, each one stood up and said a line about who they are and where they're from and what they're interested in. You're not going to be able to do that when your numbers grow, you know. It, I like how it's a foregone conclusion that we're going to grow. Oh, I think it's, <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think you'll see, you know, especially SIPs Europe, you'll see yeah. um, a lot of interest there. Yeah. Any tips for the black goat, what we should do in the future? Maybe maybe adopt a, a pet goat, yeah. <laughs> like, like the Cologne football team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Hannes the Eighth. Hannes the Eighth. Yeah. So <laughs> Samine and I were recently in Cologne at another conference, and she was. I think you found out that the the soccer team had a goat as a mascot, yeah. and she got all this goat swag at the official fan store to wear and give out. And it's an actual goat mascot. Yeah. His name is Hennis the Eighth. Yeah. <laughs> that does make you wonder what happened to the previous seven. Yeah. No, well, you know, goats Life live happened. forever. Yeah. You know, they, I'm sure they all had long and productive lives. Yeah. And last but not least, Sanjay talks to Ivy Onyato, Alex Danvers, and Victor Keller about diversity, scientific self-correction, and their favorite member of the black goat. As... The first timers, uh, how how similar or different was the reality of SIPs to what you thought it was going to be like before you came? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't think I had a strong sense of what it would be like. I knew it would be very different than any other conference that I attended, but I didn't realize we were going to, like I didn't realize Sci Archive started last year and then now this year it's like you know, APA's partner. Like, I didn't realize that was the level that was operating. I think I, I think I thought I was going to come and learn about R, which I did do from Alex, <laughs> um, like R and open science and like do more of the workshops. I think I didn't get the hackathons. And so I, I wasn't expecting them, but they were really cool. And I participated in the diversity one and it was terrific. Cool. What's one thing that you worked on that was really interesting? So Ivy, can we start with you? Yeah, I was working on a 
I've been thinking a lot about open science as, because I started graduate school in 2012, so that was right around when everything kind of, we started to realize the, the depth of the problem. Um, and so I've been following the conversation, but feeling like I couldn't really get involved because it was too fast moving and, um, and the cost were like the cost of changing felt like very high, and I felt like you know I don't have a lot of energy. I'm just going to focus on doing what I know how to do. Um, but being here um, and uh, just thinking more in depth about it, I realized that I and I care a lot about diversity. So I realized that I want to see more of the underrepresented scholars like at the front end of this, not behind the ball when like the whole field has changed and we have to do like remediation classes or whatever. You like. We already know about that and so I don't I, I want to do my part to change that so we're working on a document just trying to to specifically address why people who are underrepresented who already are thinking about lots of different things should also be involved here as well Victor what what is what was one yeah memorable part of SIPS for you so um, maybe it's most well yeah, it's the most recent event, so there's a recency confound there, but no. um, it's this interview right now. No, very productive and really, um, I think, uh, yeah, will be memorable. Uh, session was uh, an unconference session earlier today on self-correction in science and not um, specifically focusing on theories, right? So. Basically, all that we were doing here at SIPS, SIPS um, involves self-correction methodologically, right? Um, refining our methods to improve that. But um, this unconference was focused on theories and how um, we could incentivize people to um, to accept that their theories are wrong. For example, to um, try to falsify their theories in a better way. And yeah. So, I guess last question: uh, Who's your favorite member of the Black Coat? No, okay, well, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> They're not even in the room, so. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> you see my face, I was like, kind of horrible. Why, why aren't we videotaping? Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, well, thank you guys very much for, for coming uh, and for, for talking to me, and uh, enjoy the rest of the conference. Well, that's it for the interviews. And thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening to everyone's experiences. Um, you can find us on the web at www.theblackgoatpodcast.com. If you want to email us, next time we'll be back to our usual format. We love answering letters uh, from people who want to know what we think about things. Letters at theblackgoatpodcast.com. We're on Twitter at blackgoatpod. We're on Facebook too. And thank you so much for listening. Goodbye until next time.